Well, here we are. It's the first week of 2023. And with that being the case, you know, the, the one thing that we can be certain of is that millions and millions of Americans are once again doing their best this week to keep the New Year's resolutions that they recently made. And, and with that, it's also sad to say that within the, the time span of just four days, uh, many have already given up on their goals. Any hands up? Wanna, anybody want to confess this, uh, this evening? You know, it's possible that some of us here tonight have already given up on our New Year's resolutions. And the reason why is because New Year's resolutions are hard, amen? It's hard. It's hard to change your life, isn't it? And, and the work that it takes to transform our lives, it's not easy. And with that being the case, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised to find a long list of best-selling books written by authors who assure us that they have the best plan for true transformation. As a matter of fact, you know, if you're on, online already, you can go to Amazon and, and go ahead and purchase this book right now. It's Tony Robbins' book, Awaken the Giant. Yeah, he wants you to awaken the giant. He's presenting us with a six-step system which enables us to change anything in our life. Not only that, but Robbins also details a seven-day Kickstarter guide which is supposed to provide us with the tools we need to awaken the giant within us. And I think this comes with hot coals so that we can walk on fire uh, in this transformation process. But seriously, it's sad to say that those who end up awakening their inner giant uh, well, they tend to suffer from a giant case of covetousness, which is rooted in self-centered narcissism. That's the giant that you can awaken uh, within yourself. That being the case, well, some might suggest that you buy a book by Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, which is titled The Four Agreements. Now, according to the summary of this New York Times bestseller, The Four Agreements is based on ancient Toltec wisdom, which offers a powerful code of conduct that can rapidly transform our lives so that we can finally experience what's called the, the true freedom and true happiness and love uh, that's found within this Toltec wisdom. Never mind the fact that the Toltecs uh, were natives who uh, offered human sacrifices to their idol Quetzalcoatl. You know, let's, let's just go ahead and skip over that. Never mind that all of their positive thinking didn't stop the uh, Chimacheks from uh, coming in and wiping them out entirely. Listen, all that matters is that Oprah Winfrey endorsed this book. That's all that you know, should matter to us, and, and, and so much for the, uh, the, the, the wisdom of the ancient Toltecs. Well, if the, the wisdom of the ancient Toltecs doesn't do it for you, thankfully for us, there's actually no shortage of self-help books that promise total transformation. You could read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, uh, and this book promises to help people find their true and deepest self uh, and, and reach the ultimate in personal growth and spirituality through the discovery of truth and light. Wow, that's incredible. We can reach the ultimate in personal growth and spirituality. Now, I thought that I reached the ultimate uh, you know, uh, growth uh, a couple of years ago when I hit 400, but, uh, <laughs> but that's another issue altogether. You could also read Atomic Habits by James Clear, which offers a uh, proven framework, according to him. It's a proven framework for improving yourself every single day. Just making little decisions every day results in big decisions over time. Okay, all right, sounds good. Then there's The Art of Happiness, which is written by the Dalai Lama. And according to the summary of this book, you know, the Dalai Lama shows us how to use Buddhist meditation and common sense to defeat day-to-day -day anxieties and insecurities and anger and, and discouragement. 
Sadly, there, there are many in the world today who are, in fact, using this book in an attempt to transform their lives with this blend of Buddhist meditation and common sense. Never mind the fact that uh, Buddhist meditation and common sense are diametrically opposed to one another. You know, so there's that. Not only that, but listen, common sense is also in conflict with uh, the, the beliefs of those who think that true transformation is based on some sort of fad diet or exercise routine. You know, for example, gym memberships always increase at the beginning of the year. They always increase. And, and you know, that's why a lot of people love, love to go to these gyms where, you know, you can pay by the month, you know, $10 a month. And, you know, typically you'll see uh, at the end of their, at the end of the year, they spent like 30 bucks for the first three months and then they stopped going. Yeah. Sorry, Planet Fitness, but that's the way it goes. But gym memberships always increase at the beginning of the year. And the reason why is because, you know, many of us have been led to believe that true transformation that happens in the gym happens when you grind it out in front of the big mirror, you know, so that you can just look at yourself while you're working on yourself and making sure that self is, is doing all right, you know. And if we can only just achieve the, the, the beach bod all year long, if only I could finally get that six pack of abs rather than the keg I ended up with, you know. And, <laughs> That's how true transformation works, right? Well, that's what we're told. Sadly, the majority of those who spend hours a day at the gym are still dissatisfied with some aspect of their body, which is why they have to keep going back. They have to keep working on that, that one muscle group, that one thing, that, that, that one issue that they still have, not all the while realizing that their nose continues to grow along with their ears for the rest of their life. There are those who start taking steroids so that they can finally achieve that that, you know, that physique that will never happen naturally. Yeah. Others become anorexic because they diet themselves into starvation just to somehow achieve that look that they're going for and they can just never get skinny enough. In this way, people are seeking a physical solution for what's actually a spiritual problem. In similar fashion, you know, there are those who are struggling with the belief that their physical body doesn't match their so-called gender identity. As a result, there's been this sharp rise in the, in the number of young people who are now identifying as transgender. And while I have no doubt that some of these kids are just, you know, going along with whatever's popular right now, I also believe that many of these kids are suffering from a mental disorder, which is known as gender dysphoria. Uh, and, and, and with that being the case, you know, it's tragic to say that our health officials today, along with our public school teachers, well, they're happy to help these kids transition, even sometimes behind the back of their parents, well, uh, all the while giving them drugs and, and encouraging surgeries, which will allegedly result in true transformation, which will take away the desire for, you know, self-harm and, and, and suicide. Sadly, these transitional treatments can't really transform boys into girls. Nor can they transform girls into boys. And what's even worse is that these transitional treatments won't solve the mental disorder that initially led them to think that their body doesn't match their so-called gender identity. As a result, we're even now at this moment witnessing many who, have, who, who already transitioned and now they're beginning to detransition now that they realize that the surgeries, the, the treatments, the, all of this didn't solve the actual issue that was in their mind. You see, the transformation that we truly desire, it's not just a physical issue. When we look in the mirror and think, oh, I wish I was different, 
Trust me when I tell you that, that God didn't make a mistake. The issue isn't with what we see necessarily, but there's also a mental component to this that, that has to be solved. There has to be a, a transformation of the mind. And with that being the case, you know, there are many people who are certain that the best plan for true transformation was spent time then working on mental attitudes and temperaments that affect our personalities. This is the plan that has led many to employ pseudo-scientific personality tests like the ever-popular Myers-Briggs type indicator. Uh, for the sake of clarity, you know, the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator, is, it was created back in the early 20th century by Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter Isabel Briggs Myers. And it's also important to note that they were inspired by a Swiss psychiatrist whose name was Carl Jung. More specifically, they were influenced by Jung's book, Psychological Types. Now, with that being the case, it's important to note that Jung claims to have obtained his beliefs from a series of messages given to him by spirit guides. Interesting. One of his spirit guides, who he named Philemon, was, and I quote Jung here, a pagan who brought with him an Egypto-Hellenistic atmosphere with a Gnostic coloration. Makes perfect sense, right? Jung's beliefs about psychological types uh, was basically based on ideas that he received from this spirit guide who he claims was a pagan. Jung also became acquainted with another spirit guide uh, named Ka, and he described Ka in this way, and again I quote Jung here, Ka's expression had something demonic about it, one might almost say Mephistophelian. And just to be clear, you know, uh, Mistopheles uh, was, this, was this evil spirit to whom a German astronomer named Faust sold his soul so that he could obtain secret knowledge from Satan. And so according to Jung here, his, his spirit guide named Ka was a similar sort of demonic entity as this, uh, this, this, you know, demonic entity named uh, uh, Mistif- uh, um, uh, Mephistopheles. And so uh, with all of this in mind, you know, it's just important for us to understand that those who are using the Myers-Briggs personality test as a path for personal transformation, they're actually using a pseudoscientific method, which is based on the beliefs of Carl Jung. And according to Jung, he obtained his beliefs from spirit guides who were probably demons, and while the Myers-Briggs personality test might be, uh, you know, a, a, a just fine method for describing personality types, listen, I, I really struggle to believe that this personality test can somehow produce the supernatural power that it takes for true transformation. So listen, if you want to study about your personality all day long and figure out what the Myers-Briggs or, or other personality tests can produce, you know, good luck in using that as a power to fix your personality issues. In similar fashion, I would also make the same argument for the Enneagram system. And and while I realize that there are many Christians who have dabbled in this so-called personality test system, you know, I believe that we would all do well to spend some time tonight considering the origins of this personality system as well as the theological framework to which it's tied. Now, if you already feel like I'm stepping on your toes, I encourage you to hear me out so that we can actually walk in the light of the truth when it comes to this Enneagram. 
at a cursory level, you know, the Enneagram system is presented as a personality, you know, system, which categorizes every person into one of nine uh, personality types, which are, you know, really so broad that almost anybody could fit into any of them. But, but after discovering our specific personality type, after taking their little test, you know, the Enneagram system then supposedly helps us to identify our core motivations and fears and internal dynamics, which, which drive our decisions and, you know, those, those issues that end up ruining our relationships. And, and it should be noted that the Enneagram personality test, well, it not only provides people with a plan for introspection as we examine ourselves, but it also promises to provide people with a path for personal transformation. And it's unfortunate that, that what most Christians who use this fail to realize is that this path of perfection is based upon a theological framework which is in conflict with the word of God. To prove my point, let's consider a statement made by Christopher Huritz, uh, who authors a book that's titled The Sacred Enneagram, Finding Your Unique Path to Spiritual Growth. Yeah, this is a path for spiritual growth. Now, well, it was during an interview with Jonathan uh, Peterson when Huritz declared this, and I quote him here. He says, the Enneagram is often misunderstood as a personality tool to describe quirks and traits of people's individuality. However, the Enneagram goes much further than mere caricatures. The Enneagram is a caricature, uh, character study uh, system that illustrates the nine ways we lie to ourselves about who we think we are, nine ways we learn to come clean about the illusions we live in, and listen, nine ways we find our way back to God. That's what the Enneagram system is. Nine ways to find your way back to God. Where did God go? I don't know. But according to this, this author, the Enneagram system is much more than a simple personality tool. It's a character study that presents us with these different ways to, to get back to God. And that's interesting because last time I checked, there's only one way to God. What are these other ways to God? There's one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, I am the way, and by the way, there's eight other ways. Nope. So what are these ways to God that are offered with this, within this Enneagram system? Well, with this question in mind, I want to take a moment to consider the origins of this belief system that allegedly help us to find our way back to God some insist that the Enneagram system can be traced back to a 4th century monastic theologian named Evagrius Ponticus. That's probably what you were thinking. Others insist that the roots of the Enneagram are traced to an ancient Greek philosopher and mystic named Pythagoras. And then there are those who insist that the Enneagram is actually a 20th century invention, <clears throat> which is an amalgamation of ancient Gnosticism, mysticism, astrology, and numerology, henceforth the name Enneagram, you know, uh, which is basically nine signs. Now, those who visit the Enneagram Institute's website, we find the following statement, and, and so this is fairly authoritative. Uh, they tell us this, and I quote, the Enneagram of personality types is a modern synthesis of a number of ancient wisdom traditions, but the person who originally put the system together was Oscar Acaso. Oscar Acaso. Now, just to be clear, uh, Oscar Acaso was a, a 20th century philosopher who received this system in a vision from an archangel that he calls Metatron. I love that. 
Much like Young, Oscar Icazo claims to have received his belief system from a spirit guide. And in this case, uh, he identifies the, the spirit guide as the archangel Metatron, which shouldn't be confused with Megatron, the Transformer. That's, that's a different character altogether. There is more than meet the, meets the eye in that Transformer, but uh, that's a whole other study. Unsurprisingly, Oscar Icazo also confessed that he was introduced to psychedelic drugs and shamanism in his early teens. And shortly thereafter, he was invited to a closed study group which included theosophists, esoteric Rosicrucians, and a sect of mystics uh, called the Martinists. And, and, and together they were discussing the writings of George Gurdjieff. Now, just to be clear, George Gurdjieff was a 19th century Armenian philosopher and mystic and spiritual teacher. And he was also a man who used Gnosticism and specific doctrines of the Stoics, the Epicureans, and, and the uh, Manichaeans uh, to create this philosophical, the, the philosophical foundations for what's called the fourth way, which is supposed to enable us to switch from the temporal to the immortal in order to experience the real world. This is just New Age mysticism. He creates this system by which we switch from the temporal to the immortal so that we can experience the reality of the world. This is Gnosticism. Gurdjieff wasn't teaching the Bible. He was instead teaching unbiblical heresy. So now let's piece all this together. The Enneagram system being used today was developed by Oscar Icazo. Uh, it was initially uh, influenced by Gnosticism, Theosophists, Esoteric Rosicrucians, Martinist Mystics, and Mushrooms. He then embraced the fourth way of Gurdjieff uh, as he receives the Enneagram system from an angel named Metatron, who I'm assuming, if Metatron is real, is probably a fallen angel. Well, now here we are in the 21st century, and this Enneagram system has been embraced by millions and millions of people, including evangelical Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus, but then were introduced to this as some sort of self-help system. As a matter of fact, the Enneagram system was first introduced within Roman Catholicism by a man named Richard Rohr. And from there, the Enneagram has since been embraced in many Protestant churches where it you know, continues to be used by those who are looking for an effective path for personal transformation. And while I realize that there are some believers who think that the Enneagram system is just a personality test, it's harmless. Well, at the cursory level, that, that might be correct. But if you drill down past that and start getting into their solutions... You know, the, there are those who then embrace the core doctrines of this belief system as they attempt to live the Enneagram lifestyle and they start signing up for the Enneagram devotions and all these sorts of things. And it's sad to say that I've personally witnessed Christians being led astray by this unbiblical belief system. For example, let's just consider a statement made by a man who initially introduced the Enneagram system into the Catholic Church. I'm again talking about Richard Rohr. And here's what he once said, and I quote him, I again offer the Enneagram as another of the endlessly brandished swords of the Holy Spirit. The Enneagram, like the spirit of truth itself, will always set you free, but first it will make you miserable. 
Now, as we consider this quote, it should be noted that there's only one sword of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't mention swords of the Spirit. No, there's one sword of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, it's in Ephesians chapter 6 where we learn that the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. There's one sword of the Spirit, and it's the Bible. With this in mind, let's take another look and and consider the the heresy that Richard Rohr introduced when he declared again, I again offer the Enneagram as another of the endlessly brandished swords of the Holy Spirit. According to this guy who who brought the Enneagram system into the Catholic Church and then spread it into the Evangelical Church, the Enneagram is another sword used by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this guy would have us to believe that the Holy Spirit was the one who led Metatron to inspire a secular philosopher named Oscar uh, Icazo to create this system of self-help which is now equal to the Bible? It's on the same level as the Bible, another sword, comparative to the sword of the Spirit. Richard Rohr also assures us that the Enneagram is able to set us free. Again, here's how he put it, and I quote, The Enneagram, like the Spirit of Truth itself, will always set you free, but first it will make you miserable. Now remember, the Spirit of Truth is not an it. The Spirit of Truth is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth is a he. The, th- the, the spirit of truth is the third person of the Godhead who was sent to sanctify those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us by enabling us to overcome our sinful desires, well, it seems to me here that Richard Rohr would have us to believe that the Enneagram offers a system of sanctification which is on par with the power of the Holy Spirit. I realize that there will be those who insist that the Holy Spirit can use the Enneagram system, pragmatically speaking. Okay. But to that I would ask this. Why didn't the Holy Spirit just reveal this plan in the pages of the Holy Bible then? If this is the Holy Spirit's plan for sanctification, why isn't this, you know... Second opinions, chapter four, here's all the personality types that we have to investigate and, you know, self-examine and, and that's, no, it's not in the Bible. But those people will say, well, I've been blessed by it. The Holy Spirit it used in my life. Well, listen, the Holy Spirit used Balaam's donkey in his life. Does that mean we all need to go buy donkeys now and wait for God to speak to us? Don't get caught up into this pragmatic argument that, well, because it worked at some point, then it must be God's plan. We should also ask, if the Enneagram system is essential for our sanctification, then why did the Holy Spirit wait until the 19th and 20th centuries to finally reveal this fourth way that allegedly brings us back to God? Why, why so long? Why, why so many centuries passing by without giving us this enneagram information that we so desperately need? Furthermore, we should ask, does this path of perfection as defined by the enneagram system contradict the Bible? With this question in mind, I want to consider the research of Dr. Chris Berg, who recently wrote a book titled The New Age Trojan Horse, What Christians Should Know About Yoga and the Enneagram. 
According to Dr. Berg's research, 88% of the theological statements that he's found in the Enneagram books that he's examined, these are the books that they sell, you know, they make millions and millions and millions of dollars on all this, all this sort of information, that those who really drill down into this stuff, you know. Well, he's examined many of these, these books that, you know, detail the, the solutions offered by the Enneagram. And in these books, he's discovered 88% of the theological statements in these Enneagram books were either deviations from Christian orthodoxy or they were syncretic with New Age heresies. It's syncretism, not Christian theology. Those who drill down past the free personality test and begin to study and apply the Enneagram teachings to their lives they end up being introduced to a theological system which is in conflict with the word of God almost 90% of the time. To that I would ask, why? Why would any Christian see this as a valid path to true transformation? And if you've read any of these books and you thought, well, I found some true things in it, yeah, 10% of the time you'll find truth. Does that make up for the 90% heresy? Ten percent might be enough truth to convince some Christians that this is all well and good enough, but listen, this is nothing more than a Trojan horse for new age mysticism. Now, if this is upsetting for you to hear, I encourage you, take some time to read Dr. Berg's book, which again is titled The New Age Trojan Horse, What Christians Should Know About Yoga and the Enneagram. At least spend as much time reading that book as you have reading the Enneagram books. And just examine it for yourself. See if what I'm saying is true or not. And while it's true that the Enneagram personality test is this Trojan horse that introduces New Age teachings to unsuspecting people, I also must insist that it's actually a powerless approach that encourages narcissism uh, as well as a path of self-destruction through the attempt of self-perfection. The proof of my point can be found in the statement made again by Christopher Huritz. Huritz claims that, you know, Rohr is his mentor in all of this. But Huritz declares this. He says, the Enneagram invites us to go uh, to deeper self-awareness as a doorway to spiritual growth. Think about that for a moment. The Enneagram invites us to deeper self-awareness as a doorway to spiritual growth. You focusing on you provides you with a path of spiritual growth? This is the same guy who already assured us that the Enneagram provides us with nine ways back to God. Clearly, one of these ways is self-awareness as a path of spiritual growth. This guy is assuring us that the Enneagram invites us to deeper self-awareness, and, and it's this deeper self-awareness that becomes the doorway for spiritual growth. And, and with that, I just want, want to encourage you to realize that self-awareness isn't a doorway to spiritual growth. No, instead, it's the gateway to self-deception. Let me prove my point. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
Christian, listen, our heart is deceitful above all things, and it's so desperately wicked that we're even able to deceive ourselves. And listen, this is true of the person who is taking the Enneagram personality test. How do you know that when you're even answering the little question, the, the, the little, what, seven-page questionnaire? How do you know that you're not dialing in self-deceived answers uh, in, into, into, the, into the questionnaire itself? which then skews, you know, the results. And listen, I could take that test every day and give different answers every single day. Just how, how I feel that morning. How much coffee did I drink? With that being the case, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that the doorway to spiritual growth, it isn't based on self-awareness. It's based on self-denial. That's what the Bible says. Let's consider how the Lord Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24, where Jesus declares, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take the Enneagram test. And no, no, sorry, that's, uh, that's the message version. Bad. <laughs> if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. According to Jesus, the path of perfection isn't taken by those who are focused on self. They're not trying to become self-aware. No, instead, the path of perfection is taken by those who deny themselves, deny their own desires, so that we can take up the cross and die to our selfish desires. And with this as the goal... I want to take some time to consider the instructions that Paul presented in his letter to the church in Rome. So if you would, let's open our Bibles now. Let's open up to Romans chapter 12. And as you make your way to the 12th chapter of Romans, I just want to take a moment to point out that the Lord is the one who knows what's wrong with us. Even if we spend all of our day looking at personality tests and, and, and we drill it down and, and ah, yeah, we're, we're a number two. We're a number eight. We're a number, you're a number seven. You're, you're a number six. Well, you're a number six, so I can't hang out with you because I can only hang out, hang out with number fives. And can't have this job because this job can only be accomplished by a number three. What, a number seven married to number six? Oh, no, that's never going to work out. This is all just... Ridiculous. I encourage you to consider what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 12. Because listen, the Lord is the one who knows what's wrong with us. He knows what's wrong with our personalities. He, he, he knows you know, where we're broken. He knows where we need to be fixed and transformed. E even if we read all of the best self-help books in the world... We still don't even know if we're deceiving ourselves about who we even think we are. That being the case, the best thing that we can do for true transformation is to follow the instructions that Paul presents here in Romans chapter 12. Look with me there, beginning at verse 1. Here Paul declares, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here in these verses, we find Paul presenting us with a, a path 
which will help us to understand what is the acceptable and good and perfect will of God for us. And he presents this contrast between those who are conformed to this wicked world and those who are transformed according to God's will. Now, for the sake of clarity, it'll help us to understand that the word conformed was translated from a Greek word which was used to describe something that's pressed into a mold. For example, you know, when you press clay or Play-Doh into some sort of preformed mold, then this substance is then conformed to the image of that mold. I have no doubt that many of us grew up as kids with that Play-Doh factory. And you take the Play-Doh and you put it into the little smasheroo thing and it forces it through the star shape or the square and it comes out in that shape. And that's, that's being, the, the Play-Doh is being conformed to that mold. With this in mind, it's important for us to understand that the system of this wicked world is trying to conform us by pressing us into an anti-biblical mold. And while it's true that they promise true transformation, it's also true that all they can really offer is a a conforming. It's a mold that conforms Christians according to carnal desires as the world tries to lead us to, to, to live for the lusts of this flesh. That being the case, it's important for us to understand that the Lord alone can save us from the carnality of worldly conformity. And he does this by actually transforming our lives. He doesn't say, you transform your lives. He doesn't say, you focus on you and do your best so that you can transform you into the person that you should be. No, that's not found in the scriptures. The Lord is the one who transforms our lives. And this transformation begins with the renewing of what? The mind. As a matter of fact, look again there at verse 2. Paul declares, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed was translated from a Greek word. It's the the Greek word metamorpho. And as you might guess, you know, this is the basis for our English word metamorphosis. This simply refers to something that's changed from one thing to another. What this means then is that the the Lord actually has a plan to renew our minds so that we can begin to experience true transformation, not carnal confirmation, but true transformation. And for the sake of clarity, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the renewal of the mind isn't based on the doctrines of demons like Metatron or Philemon. No one said the Lord uses his holy word to renew our thoughts and our imaginations. Not only that, but he uses the sword of the spirit to cut away bad attitudes and personality traits that fail to glorify him. The Lord is able to accomplish these works in our lives. He's the one that's able to renew our minds to bring us to total transformation. Simply put, the Lord uses the spiritual cleansing of the scriptures to renovate our souls. And as he washes us with the water of the word, he cleanses the corruption from our carnal minds. And this is how the spirit of the living God begins to transform our lives so that we might properly bear the image of God. 
With this as the goal, I encourage you to apply the instructions that Paul presents there in Romans chapter 12. And with that, I want to back up and look again at verse 1. Because there again, Paul declares, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Christian, listen, if you want to experience true transformation in 2023 then I encourage you to remember that true transformation begins when the born-again believer presents themselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And a living sacrifice doesn't say, just part of me, please. A living sacrifice is presented entirely. Burnt offerings were consumed entirely. And that's what we are to do if we really want to be transformed this year. We have to offer ourselves completely to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And I'm here to tell you, this does not include you picking your path for perfection. This doesn't include you going and finding the book that makes sense for you. And then you take that book and think, well, this has to work for everybody else too. So now I'm going to go push this book off on everybody else. And everybody's got to use this plan. And this is the program. And Stop it. We have the book. We've, we've got the book. We don't have to go to the Christian bookstore and find another book. We've got the book. It's the Bible. The Bible contains the instructions that the Holy Spirit uses to wash us with the water of the word. And in this, we are transformed. So quit looking for the best self-help book that that is going to solve all your problems. We've got it. It's perfect. And it helps us to discover the will of God. Stop trying to pick your own path of perfection through some sort of narcissistic self-help program And instead, let's just simply give ourselves completely to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Allow him to renew our minds as we continue to study the word of God. And in this way, he transforms our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Let's pray.